how do you do exactly this? How do you process feedback? How do you think about the sources of your feedback? Um, and then how do you be really honest and, and open? Um, and I think that that's, that's pretty, pretty key in the beginning is that you have to be really open to everything. Um, you have to be open to, to everyone's opinions and everyone's ideas. Um, and then as you start, you know, really connecting with people and, and opening yourself up to people, I think you, you start to understand which of those individuals are trusted sources and trusted advisors and which of those people are not as much. And so I think starting early on doing that and just having that open mindset is, is really, really helpful. Listening to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back to this episode of the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Mode Sports Nutrition. Their website is myfitmode.com myfitmode.com. Mode is a natural sports nutrition company and their vision is to empower athletes of all disciplines to get the most out of their potential while promoting a healthy lifestyle. Um, Yeah, that sounds exactly like the theme of this show. And it is not ironic then that I happen to just love these products. I got hooked on them back in the spring. It started with my obsession with their energy shots. They make both blocks, drink mixes, as well as pre-mixed drinks. And it was the power drink, specifically the re-energizer shot that made me a true believer. I struggle with muscle cramps in my legs after long, hot endurance events. And whatever it is about these re-energizer shots, I swear it is magic. I've been using these shots for all of my long gravel races this year, as well as long training rides. In fact, Dirty Kansas is the perfect example. I had zero muscular cramps anywhere. Triceps, fingers, legs, calves, face, you name it. There were no muscle cramps. And um, I carry these little orange mango tasting shots with me on big rides and during big races. And so far, I have 100% success um, with these products along for the ride. I'm also a big fan of the blocks. They make these all natural ingredient energy blocks. They call them raw energy, and they are either blueberry and coconut, mango and apricot, or chocolate and walnut. Quite frankly, they are all my favorite. All of them have just a little bit of energizer in them, usually a little bit of ginseng or something similar, but they are raw energy. You can actually pronounce the ingredients, and they are packaged in these really perfectly sized little plastic wrappers that make it super easy to just grab a couple bites of the bar and then put it back in your pocket. A big believer of these products. Big believer in this company. I love their owner. She, um, just a quick story. I ordered online too late to get the product that I needed in time for Dirty Kanza. And I told her how important it was because I was really worried about muscle cramps. The owner actually took the time and effort to get those products overnighted to me to my hotel in tiny town, Emporia, Kansas. And it was a large part of my success at this year's Dirty Kanza race in the single speed. So now I don't let myself go dry. I always make sure I've got some of their product on hand. I'm a huge believer. 
Check them out. They're offering a discount to our listeners too. If you use the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N at checkout, you'll save yourself some money. It is all refrigeration required, so it will come to you in a cooler pack and you want to stick that stuff in your fridge as soon as it arrives. Again, check them out on the website, myfitmode.com and use the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N at checkout to save yourself some cash. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back. Today, my guest is Drew Chambers. I invited him on the show to talk about the startup life, this crazy, magical, mythical world of startups. It's something that many of us have heard about. It's a word that gets thrown around quite a bit, but quite frankly, what does it mean? And Drew is eating, sleeping, and breathing the life of a member of a startup called Chorus. He's going to tell you all about that. But the interesting thing is, um, yes, startups are sexy and scintillating, but they're also downright scary. And there's a lot of risk associated with them, not only whether the startup is going to succeed or fail or ultimately make its way to an amazing sell-off, but um, there's a lot of rejection that goes into hustling for the money with angel investors and others. And Drew talks about the good, the bad, and the ugly in the life of a startup. The interesting thing about the conversation, we, we took a turn and started talking more about personal growth and development and um, core values and really aligning who you are with your brand and your business's values. And we talk about the way that I've explored that with my own personal business and the way that I've started showing myself as my most authentic self in my business, social media, and um, the way that that tends to attract the dream clients and the clients that you want to serve because the people who align with you are the ones that are going to hire you. And quite frankly, the people who don't align with you are going to hire someone else. And that's exactly how we want it. So enjoy this informative session on startups, on this cool company called Chorus, and my friend Drew Chambers on core values, and personal development. I'm so excited to have you on the show this morning, by the way. Welcome to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I have invited my friend Drew to come and talk to me about the world of startups. And this is one of those things that, you know, people throw these words around and you hear it and it sounds so mysterious and and, you know, scintillating. And it's like, oh, what does this startup mean? And angel investors and things like this. And you know, we've all heard great stories about startups and we've all heard stories where startups go bust and there's a lot of risk, but there's also just a lot of excitement and exhilaration involved. Uh, is that a fair statement? Absolutely. I think that's a very fair statement. So Drew, let's back up for just a second. You know, you haven't always been in the startup world. Can you tell us just a, a brief bit about your background, where you went to school and, and what your professional life has looked like since? Sure. Sure. Thanks, Megan. Um, so yes, you are correct. I have not uh, always been in the startup space. It's actually a, a new foray for me. Uh, I'm an East Coaster originally, so uh, I went to school back east. I went to a small uh, liberal arts college in Vermont uh, called Middlebury. And uh, after college, I moved to Manhattan where I worked in finance. I was uh, working at the time for uh, a now defunct investment bank called Bear Stearns uh, was actually the uh, uh, partly responsible for the downturn of 2008. So uh, you're welcome. You for, yeah, yeah, you're welcome for that. Um, uh, luckily, I didn't have a lot of authority there. So I, I, I won't shoulder too much of the blame. But uh, uh, after Bear collapsed, I actually um, 
jumped into the uh, private wealth management space uh, for a company called uh, Alliance Bernstein. And that was where I first started getting exposed to kind of business development, networking, um, and marketing. Uh, basically, what we did is provide, you know, financial services to wealthy individuals, um, a whole host of different products. And that was very interesting, but it was, I very quickly realized that's not what I wanted to do um, with my life. Um, so I, I left uh, Bernstein and I went to a little boutique shop, um, which I guess could, could be uh, considered my first foray into kind of the smaller startup world, uh, was a uh, institutional equity research shop. So essentially what we did is sell our thoughts about various stocks, and we specifically focused on the consumer retail space. So companies like Target and Home Depot, we would be telling large hedge funds and pension funds, you know, this is what we think those guys are going to do. Uh, you know, we think this is a good stock, we think this is a bad stock, and then we would ask them to trade through our sales desk. Um, so it was a very small team. It was a young company. There was a lot of good with that. There was a lot of bad with that. Um, and, uh, you know, as any early uh, professional will tell you, I think uh, most of what you're trying to figure out is what you don't want to do uh, when you're that age. And so, yes. uh, so after a little bit of that and some pretty pretty crazy traveling, we decided, uh, we being my um, girlfriend at the time, now wife Katie, uh, we decided we wanted to leave New York and, and move to Colorado. So we, we moved uh, just about eight years ago to, to Denver, Colorado, hadn't really spent any time out here, um, started with a, a company called GLC, um, which is a process outsourcing company that I ended up uh, buying into. Um, and then at the beginning of July, I, I uh, exited, uh, sold, sold uh, that, and uh, started with uh, my current startup, Chorus, here at the, in the beginning of July. And tell us about Chorus, and more specifically, what about this company essentially uh, kind of wooed you away from your momentary retirement that you were attempting to <laughs> Right, yeah. I wanted to ride my bike more. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, so, so Chorus is, um, it is a platform designed to enable better access to consumer uh, data. So essentially, if you're a uh, large company or e even a small company and you want to understand what your customers are thinking, um, there's kind of a very nebulous way of going about and, and doing that currently. And what Chorus aims to do is, is give you a single platform that uh, makes it much easier to, to get that feedback and then uh, hopefully act upon it, um, use it to, uh, to, to inform your business decisions, whether that's product development or marketing, uh, what have you. So at its core, it's a, it's a survey platform, first and foremost, um, with a lot of robust tools uh, for translation, uh, for automation, um, and then it has integrated uh, what what we call in the space panel providers. Um, so essentially, it enables you uh, access to 80 million respondents across the globe uh, fairly quickly. So you can you can put out a survey and get a response within a day, as opposed to uh, a, a few weeks uh, prior. So it's a it's very uh, it's meant to be disruptive. It's it's a very cool technology. 
Um, and I, I think, yeah, and, and I think, you know, ultimately what was, what was appealing to me is, uh, was twofold. One, my brother, um, who is much, much smarter than I am, is a, a data analyst wonk. He's uh, published pieces. He's uh, taught at grad schools. Um, super smart guy. And, and this is the space that he plays in. And, and so he, you know, when I started talking to Chorus, I, I started talking with my brother Chris as well and getting his feedback. And he was, you know, right away, you could kind of see the, uh, his eyes light up. And that was, that was pretty telling. Um, I think, you know, secondly, um, the team was really honest and open. And I think, you know, I don't want to, uh, make any kind of broad generalizations, but I think one of, one of the common things that you'll hear about the startup space is that there's a lot of, uh, and they'll do air quotes, very smart people, you know, people that know a lot about a lot of things and, and aren't uh, as willing and open to kind of share the, the spaces where they might be um, challenged. And, and these guys were very honest and open about where they were, um, maybe there were some gaps in their knowledge or some gaps in their skill sets um, and I really like that because I'm, I'm, I tend to be very open about where my gaps are and where I think I can add value. Um, and they really needed somebody to kind of help on the marketing side, as well as the enterprise partnership and, and, uh, launch side. And that's really what I enjoy doing. So. Wow. That is so, um, just all encompassing. There was so much good stuff there. I want to just go back to the most recent point you just made, and then we'll come back full circle to the startup, which you talk about blind spots just now, and you say that you have a good, pretty good awareness of your blind spots, and you feel like your team is a team of people who they have their strengths where they have their strengths, and then they're also pretty acutely aware of their blind spots. This is one of those aspects of life and adulting specifically I find really fascinating because there's a lot of us walking around that don't know the things we don't know. And you sound like you've got a pretty good grasp on your blind spots as you perceive them. Where do you get that feedback and how do you eliminate kind of the clutter from, you know, sources that aren't very reliable uh, with respect to really figuring out where it is that those blind spots are of yours and, and how you um, improve upon them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, honestly, my, you know, my only weakness is that I care too much, obviously, but no, <laughs> teasing. I think, um, it, it, one of the things that, that we talked about, um, a lot kind of early on in, in my development with some of my mentors was, you know, how do you do exactly this? How do you process feedback? How do you think about the sources of your feedback? Um, and then how do you be really honest and, and open? Um, and I think that that's, that's pretty, pretty key in the beginning is that you have to be really open to everything. Um, you have to be open to, to everyone's opinions and everyone's ideas. Um, and then as you start, you know, really connecting with people and, and opening yourself up to people, I think you, you start to understand which of those individuals are trusted sources and trusted advisors and which of those people are not as much. And so I think starting early on doing that and just having that open mindset is, is really, really helpful. Um, and it was really helpful for me. And then I think being kind of doing open, honest reflection with yourself. So, you know, one of the things that I like to do is, 
Um, you know, I have a, a notebook and a little journal that I do um, some of my my own note taking and own um, self evaluation, and, and really be honest. You know, if you had a meeting with somebody or you had a conversation with a coworker, going back and and really kind of assessing your own performance, your yourself, and then also, you know, maybe garnering feedback from them. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't know that I don't know if that's the best answer, but that's that's kind of how I've gone about doing it. Well, yeah, that's and that's exactly what I want to know is your approach to that blind spot assessment. And do you journal pretty much daily, Drew? I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of uh, um, so uh, it, it's weird. When I was younger, I was really, really good at math. And I always thought that that was my, you know, I was just going to be one of those like science math guys. Um, and recently, and I say recently, but probably over the past five to 10 years, I've tried to really work on the on the creative side, and I've found that like journaling and and even like I do like sketches and poems and stuff like that. None of it's good, but it it really just tries. To, I try to act, excuse me, try to activate that creative yeah. side. Um, and so I really do try to do that on a, on a daily basis. I think it it really challenges me, and it it, it does. Um, uh, it helps me. And I think it also, again, you know, if you're doing something that you're not, you know, naturally gifted at, uh, I think it, it does help you be a little bit more honest and open about where you're maybe vulnerable or weak. Sure. And certainly a level of humility there too, right? As you're <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll show you some of the sketches. You'll, you'll. <laughs> that drawing really sucks. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, no, I think there's some value to bringing what's on the inside of us to the outside and then looking at it. And so I think, you know, a lot of the most successful people will tell you that that's part of their morning routine and you call them morning pages. It's very common among trial attorneys. Sit down and write whatever's on your mind for three pages and don't stop until you're done. I think there's a very specific component there, not just in the self-improvement and kind of fully optimized realm, but also just getting to know yourself and figuring out where those triggers are. And, um, you know, we talk about vices on this show a lot and what sends us to our vices. Well, it's those triggers. Well, where do the triggers come from? Well, you have to spend some time actually thinking about that, don't you? Sure, sure. That's a great point. Well, I love that uh, concept that you raised about blind spots. So thanks for bringing that up. And it sounds like you're part of a very well-balanced team. Um, So let's talk about the actual startup because for those of us not in the space, it really does sound super sexy and exciting. But I'm sure uh, at the end of the day, sometimes, you know, you're just you're hustling for money and you're knocking on doors and making contacts. So what does it take for a startup to really get its wings and take off? Yeah, I think uh, everything you said there is, is, is spot on, I think, from the outside. And, you know, I, my my thought process was the same. Right. It is, uh, you know all these companies take off and you see, you know, they've raised millions and millions of dollars and, you know, they've got ping pong tables in the lobby and it seems yeah. so cool. And, and, you know, once you're on the inside, you know, certainly there's a lot of, there's, there is that excitement. And, and I think everybody is um, really trying to get aligned about, uh, about value and, and energy. Um, but there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, everybody kind of wearing, uh, different hats and and trying to pick up the slack that that is challenging and the fundraising side of things as well is 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 very humbling you know you're you're sure. you know effectively panhandling for yeah. um, you know kind of the future of your of of the company um, so so that can be a real uh, ego check for 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 everybody I'd say 
you know, the, the, the exciting parts for me are seeing, um, you know, seeing something take shape, seeing something come to life that was an idea. Um, and you really do have to, um, uh, let me take a step back. There, there are a lot of really smart people out there and it's never been easier to raise money. It's never been easier to, to, to create a startup. There's accelerators, there's, uh, incubators. And, and as a result, you can't just say, Oh, you know, I've got this good idea. Like you really do have to, to kind of take it to, uh, uh, beyond a minimally viable product. You have to take it to some kind of, uh, uh action or success rate. And so you have to build something and, and building something that people want is, is both exciting and flattering, but it's also super challenging. Um, so, so seeing that growth and, and seeing something go from an idea or even just a problem. And, and I think that that's one of the big things that we focus on in, in the conversations with investors, but also as a company is, you know, what's the problem that we're solving? You know, we're, we're not just creating something to create something. We're creating something because we saw a problem and, and we think that we have the best solution to that. Um, so for me, uh, long-winded, I think that taking it from that ideation phase all the way through to an actual product and, you know, we're going through uh, meeting with investors now, but, you know, we're showing them, a, you know, a live demo of our product and, and seeing it work is really, really cool. And I think that's, that's, that's what gets people really excited in the space. Totally. Uh, you mentioned earlier just, you know, disruption. And I love that concept of being a disruptor. But then I also love the philosophical aspect of um, creating a solution that did not previously exist for a problem. And that, you know, it feels like everything that could be invented has been invented. And then you turn around and there's there's a need for something new. And we've all been recipients of the, the uh, customer feedback surveys and you wonder what the hell are they doing with these things, you know, and everyone wants to ask you, how likely are you to refer us to your friends? And, and I know that's kind of the magic question, but, you know, then you just wonder, well, where does that data go and do they actually change anything in their company as a result? And your company, it sounds like, is attempting to take that data and assimilate it into something usable. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, that's a great point. You know, people are always asking that question of, kind of loyalty, right? Is, is, you know, how likely are you to, to, to be a, a trustworthy friend and, and refer right. business to, to, to me is, is very valuable. And if I can use that appropriately, then, you know, hopefully that's informing better business decisions going for, uh, forward. Um, well, let me ask you, I mean, I think you, you mentioned that from a, a disruptor and a solution standpoint, certainly, you know, what you've done is, is, uh, niche, but also, you know, very unique. And, and, you know, do you think, do you attribute much of your success to, to kind of filling that gap and, and seeing a problem that, that needed a solution that didn't exist or, or is it something else? Um, well, great question. And for our listeners that um, may not know, uh, I own a law firm that exclusively represents injured bicyclists and, um, I will say, Drew, that I take a great amount of pride in being a disruptor in the legal space in that, yes, there are a lot of lawyers that represent injured bicyclists. To my knowledge, I'm the only one who does it exclusively and does no other types of cases. Uh, that's not the part I take so much pride in as it is the way in which I do it. I don't have the typical website. I don't have the typical Instagram. My office is certainly not your typical law firm 
I don't dress, act, or talk like your typical lawyer. Um, that said, I, of course, wear an appropriate suit and act appropriately in court. It's not a matter of being appropriate or inappropriate. I'm just doing it differently. And I think lawyers have for a long time been a certain way, and that's fine. And it serves a lot of clients, and there are a lot of people that want to hire a lawyer that has that look. Um, but as someone who sought me out for my legal counsel, you could probably tell me better than I can tell you um, <laughs> what it was about that disruptive approach that attracted you to my law firm as opposed to one of my competitors who's more traditional. Um, and I, I get the feedback from clients all the time that I can relate to you and our interests are aligned and I get you and you get me and that's important. And so that's why I do it the way I do it. And it sounds like that's why you guys do the startup the way that you're doing it. Yeah, though I think you I mean you hit the nail on the head, and I love that you use the term alignment um, or aligned. That's that's kind of very core, one of the core values that I have, and and absolutely that was a hundred percent why um, you know when looking for uh, my counsel, I I went with you is that immediately uh, sense that that our values and our focuses were aligned, and and I I really do think that's that's so important in all aspects, um, but particularly within business. Uh, the the yeah. easiest way to derail any company, but especially a startup where, you know, you're small and, and every day you got to go out and, and uh, um, deliver for your clients, for your investors, for the rest of the team. Um, if you're not in alignment and, and you have different goals and different values, you're, you're not going to be long for this world. Right. Well, and I'll just share from my personal experience, and I want to hear how you all have come to your core values, but I will say I've been in practice now for eight and a half years with respect to this current practice, and I spent the first seven years basically trying to be something I wasn't, which was I was trying to look and act like most people expect lawyers to look and act, and I was having a harder and harder time switching hats from the authentic true Megan out here in her personal space to the lawyerly professional Megan who was trying to be what she thought her client's we're looking for. And I started working with a um, coach, actually a therapist. And she said, I challenge you this year to actually just put yourself out there and be the authentic Megan in both realms, personal and professional, and see what happens. Because she said, your phone's ringing off the hook. You've got plenty of business. Why not just see how the world responds to authentic you? And I was scared to death because there's so much vulnerability there that people are going to reject you because you're, you don't look like you take it seriously enough or you don't whatever, insert, you know, whatever criticism here. And, but I went for it because it felt right to be authentic and the vulnerability is, is crazy. But at the same time, it's been so well received to the point that people are asking to hire me to do their PR for their businesses. And I'm, I'm obviously not a PR professional, but what I am doing is trying to be my most authentic self personally and professionally. And I don't have to wear two hats anymore. And I feel like the universe is going to bring you the people that align with you. And those are the ones that you want as your clients anyway, people like you, Drew. And then if people don't align with me, they're going to be better served with another lawyer who is aligned with them. And that's the best case scenario for everyone. So um, it took me seven years to figure that out. You all are in startup mode. It sounds like you've already figured that out. So how did you get so quickly as a team to what your core values are? Yeah, I mean... Well, so for one, it wasn't that it wasn't that quick, right? So I joined the team <laughs> in July, um, but yeah, the company's been around for for some time. It's been around for about uh, four, going on five years. 
Um, okay. They are pivoting towards this this product and this platform that that they've built over the better course of the past two and a half years. But you know, one of the first things um, I did with the team, and and I think it was part of the reason why they wanted to bring me on board is through, you know, our conversations prior to me joining, you know, they really got the sense that, that this is where I could potentially add value. But, you know, one of the first things we did, I think in the first or second week is we, you know, put everybody in the same room and sat down and said, all right, you know, who are we, you know, let's, let's, let's have everybody say in their own words, you know, what they think we are, what, What's our value to clients? What's our value to each other? You know, what is most important to us? What's most important to you, both from a business and a personal standpoint? And let's like flesh this out. And so I think, you know, through that exercise, we found that there was a lot of, you know, sometimes when you're building a product and like I said, they had been building this for the better part of three years. um, It's very easy to get lost in the weeds and and get focused on one little piece and to take that step back and really, you know, come up with a holistic statement about who we are and, and why we're doing what we do um, was very, it was cathartic. I think it was very helpful. And it really got us aligned and ready for conversations with prospective clients and, and investors. Because I think uh, that that's, you know, the, those are kind of our top priorities right now. Um, but it also very much got everybody uh, excited and on the same page, uh, like this is how we're going to talk about this thing. So certainly one of those exercises um, is very helpful. And I, you know, I've done that for a long time. I've done that with, I've done that with my previous companies. You know, they teach that in, in a variety of different, you know, business uh, uh, schools and, and books. Uh, you know, if your listeners are fans of uh, traction or uh, the, the EOS system, it's a very, very popular part of that uh, system. It's uh, talked about in, in uh, Hooked, which is, uh, which is a book by Nir Aral. Uh, I might not be pronouncing his name right. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a very popular concept. And I think it, there's a reason for that. It, it, it makes sense and it's helpful. And, and again, if you let those kind of fissures or fractures grow, um, you're just going to reach a place where that's, sure. that's probably... Um, irreparable. Sure. And as I'm listening to you, you know, these concepts are forming in my brain. Uh, I think when we decide, and a lot of people resist the work that it takes to decide what your business personality, you know, we'll set aside personal stuff for a moment, uh, what your business personality is, and then what your core values are. A lot of people resist doing that work because you can't really see how it moves the bottom line forward. And it feels like it's sort of a waste of time and it's woo woo or whatever. Um, but the scary thing about it is once you commit to those things, you're giving people an absolute reason to reject you. And instead of being the chameleon who is whatever it needs to be, is certainly when you're a startup and you're trying to raise money, I'm sure the temptation is to kind of say whatever you need to say to make the investor want to pull the trigger. Sure. And yet the core values are going to hold you firm to a certain set of criteria um, for example, you may even have a great investor with a ton of money to throw at you, but their personality could be so malaligned with you that it's not a good fit, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great point. Um, and, and, you know, you, you definitely have to be, you have to have confidence in yourselves and, and your idea to be able to say, yeah, you know, we need money to grow. Um, but 
Another great advantage of, of outside investors is their experience and their knowledge um, and their ability to point out the, you know, we're both cyclists, so pointing out the potholes in the, in the road um, for, for the people behind them is, you know, one of those, those things that it, it's difficult to put a, a value on, but it's, it's very, very, uh, it's very, very important. And so, you know, resisting that temptation to, to just take the check um, but be with somebody that's misaligned or doesn't have the, the same interest, the same exit strategy, what have you, um, as you is, is, is challenging. Um, and uh, I'm not going to say that, that we, we've absolutely got it down pat, but we certainly keep it at the, at the front of our, our minds um, to say, look, we're, we're looking to raise money, but we're also looking for partnerships that are going, going to bring that additional value to us um because in the end that'll probably uh that'll probably be tenfold um just the dollar right. amount that we're that we're raising right it strengthens it strengthens the whole product and the For whole sure. team well let's talk to the extent that you're able to or want to talk about specifics um so you're looking for investment dollars, and I'm guessing that the the minimum investment is a fairly large number and, and you don't have to say it if you don't want to but what is the kind of identity of an average investor is this someone who's also at the same time running a super successful business of their own and they have this money on the side that they kind of play with and that this is an alternate investment strategy for them or you know what what is an angel investor and how do these people come to be people who play in this space and throw around a lot of money yeah for sure um so Obviously, I'm I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not going to um, <laughs> advise people on how to spend their money. Do it, do it how uh, you see fit. However, the the common thread is, um, you know, everybody that's looking at, at investments in the startup space, for the most part, um, you know, they're accredited investors, which means that you know, basically, they're wealthy individuals. They can afford to lose the money and it's not going to be, you know, their entire retirement going down the drain. And, and, you know, that's because the risk of startups is, is much higher, right? As, as you mentioned at the, at the outset, upside uh, risk, but also, you know, these upside, uh, huge upside value. Um, you know, if you IPO or you get acquired, whatever, that's where you, you read those news stories with the, with the big right. numbers in them. So, uh, you know, everybody we talk to from the angel space, which, you know, an angel is essentially a very wealthy individual or a couple of individuals that are looking for very early stage companies. So they're saying, you know, maybe it's even, it could even just be an idea. Um, uh. and maybe that product doesn't even exist, but it's a very, um, very early stage You know, think uh, in the social network when they go meet with uh, uh, Peter Thiel uh, to talk about Facebook before it's even really, you know, what we know it is uh, as it is today. You know, that's, imagine that. Yeah. So it's that very, very early stage. Um, and then there's a whole host of institutions that, you know, the, they're, they're writing checks from, you know, $1 million to 10 to $20 million, you know, sometimes much more than that. And if, if you're in the Bay area, um, but you know, they're, they're playing in that space where, you know, maybe a company has raised money before. Maybe they've uh, they've shown that their product has some some traction, and and they're looking to kind of um, you know you hear the term the hockey stick. They're looking to make that big uh, ah. that big leap to the 
to the next level, that, that's, that's where you start hearing terms like um, maybe the seed stage or the Series A stage, Series C, um, that, that kind of space. So, so our company, we're really in kind of the, uh, we're, we're somewhat unique given our, the length of our history, but we're, because we're talking about a product that is just getting started, we're really probably in that seed stage. Um, which means okay. that we're talking to a, a pretty healthy mix of angel investors as well as um, institutions that are more focused on on that space. Um, okay, so, so we're talking pretty inception stage then when you say seed stage. Yes, yes. Okay. So you're talking about, again, you know, maybe there is a product that's in existence. Like, for example, we have a product that's in existence, that works, that that some people are starting to use. But we don't have, you know, six months a year track record of this product, uh, you know, being out there kind of thing. You have enough to demo, though, it sounds For like. For sure, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's a working product. It's, uh, it's like I said, it's being used. We just haven't, uh, we haven't kind of turned it around and started marketing it and selling it to the, to the world. Gotcha. So um, it doesn't have to be specific to this company, but following the seed stage, assuming that enough money is raised... Is the next phase then where you start to really develop kind of that minimum viable product and taking it to market or what's, what's part two? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, one of the big things that is, is always going to be asked um, when you're talking to an investor um, or really anybody that's looking to, to give you money, right, is what is this money for? What are you, what are you going to use this for? And so, you know, every company is going to be a little bit different, but certainly if you're in that seed stage, you know, one of the big things that we talk about is, you know, th- this is how much of that money is going to go towards hiring more developers. You know, as, as the platform has more and more users, certainly there's more and more problems that can occur. There's more and more need for, um, you know, technologically savvy individuals to help um, keep the system running. Um, salespeople, marketing budget, you know, they want to see a very, very broken out um table of what those dollars are going to go to and then what's the expected return for that right this you know if you're investing in a startup you're not saying you know i want four percent return because uh go you know buy treasuries and and some municipal bonds like it's not (laughs) this is these these individuals are looking for five six ten twenty times return on their investment so Um, you really have to kind of lay out exactly what those dollars are going to go to, and then what those doll- what that uh, what that investment is going to return. What's your expected, you know, increase in, in number of users? What's your increase in revenue uh, expectations? And then what's your next step? Um, you know, one of the the jokes uh, in the startup space, right, is that the time to start raising money for your next round is the day that you close the previous round. You're just kind of like on this endless cycle of, of raising money because um, that's what some investors want to see. So it's a, um, it, it's a very interesting uh, discussion, but it really does boil down to kind of the basics that all of us would expect, right? If I'm going to give you money, I want to know what it's going towards. Right. And with no expectation of any return, it could be a zero right, or it could right. be five years from now you sell the company for 10x and <clears throat> if you're one of 10 investors, you're going to take 10% right. of that. Right. And we, you know, we generally try to focus on the, uh, the upside. <laughs> we try not to talk too much about the, the, 
the failure. Um, but you know, the statistics don't lie. It's you know, startups right. are. Yeah, it's, it's very, that very challenging. Sense. So, uh, well, and I, as you said earlier, that probably keeps you humble. I'm sure there's a lot of people that you ask for money from that you get a no, right? Oh, it's absolutely a numbers game. It's, it's absolutely. And, and to circle back to something that we had mentioned earlier, it's, it's very much, you know, it might be somebody that can invest, but they're just not aligned or they just don't understand the space. You know, one of the big things that you hear a lot is, you know, wow, we really like this idea, but we're just we're just not that familiar with this market or this uh, uh, this vertical, and as a result, we don't feel comfortable investing in it because uh, you know investors as well they're looking at it, uh, and and one of the things that I do try to do I don't know that I do it uh, well all the time, but I try to put myself in other people's shoes, and you know these investors just because they have money doesn't mean that the pressure is any uh, lesser on them. You know they are. In many cases, they're a fund of other people's money. And so they're looking at these investments and saying, is this the thing that's going to help us return uh, the, the amount to our investors that they're looking for? And, and uh, if I don't understand the space, am I qualified to be able to say yes or no? And, and if, if no, I have to, even if this sounds like a great idea, I have to say no, because again, I've got to, I've got to make certain returns on my end. So it's very much a, a, a numbers game. You have to have a lot of conversations with people. You have to understand what their mandate is. Again, some of these investors are focused on just one vertical, or maybe they're focused on just tech, or they're focused on services. Um, but you have to find that alignment, and you have to have a lot of conversations, because um, you know anything can, can kind of derail it. Sure. Sure. Wow. It's, I, there's so much in there. It's, it's exciting and you have to be bold and you have to be humble and you have to be okay with rejection. And you also can't overpromise because who knows what's going to happen. And then at the same time, there's so much just excitement and potential in there and people taking risks with no real knowledge of, you know, back to the point about this discussion of Facebook before it existed. I mean, who would have thought and, and every new idea could be the next Facebook and we just never know. It's an exciting time that we live in. That's the hope. <laughs> I think that's what yeah. everybody hopes. Yeah. Sure. With less and, and of the spying, that. you know, we don't want the, the, the spying no. and the sharing no, of information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's a whole nother topic with respect to accumulation of consumer data, which we won't talk about. Sure. That, but, sure. Uh, I do love the fact that companies are using the feedback that customers give them to hopefully improve the customer service experience. Cause I think we would all agree that customer service is definitely struggling uh, on the whole right now. We've lost some of that personal interaction and it's, so it's good to know that companies are using that feedback and, and utilizing that data through your software. Um, so if someone wants to get involved with with your startup, Drew, or wants to talk to you more about the software, what's the best way for them to contact you? For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, one, I'd welcome any and all conversations. Uh, Megan, I think, you know, I love meeting people. I love talking with people. I love hearing about everybody's uh, unique perspectives and, and ideas. So absolutely feel free to reach out to me. Um, you know, my, my, uh, email is, is fairly easy. It's just drew at, uh, cor.us where the name of the company is chorus C-O-R-U-S. Um, or you can go to our website and, and actually you can check out the platform in action. It's, uh, you can sign up, it's free to sign up. It's free to, to, to explore. Um, one of the things that we're 
doing that's make uh, that is disruptive in our space is not charging for user licenses. So anybody uh-huh. can go on there and and kind of check it out. Um, and uh, that website is just uh, www.cor.us. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy, like go. I said, to to talk to anybody uh, and everybody. Very cool. Well, we're going to go a big picture here to close out the podcast, Drew. And that is, you know, when you fast forward to the end of your days, what, what do you hope that your legacy will be? And what do you hope that people say about you at your funeral? Oh, wow. That is, that is really big picture. Actually, I really like that question. Um, So weirdly enough, my, my father is, has, not enough fascination, but he certainly has talked about his funeral a lot more than I think most people do. And he always said he wanted it to be a, a celebration of his life. And I always like that because I think yes. um, it is cool to think that it doesn't need to be a sad experience. Right. I would hope that some people are sad that I'm gone, but at the end of the day, you want it to be a, a happy remembrance. And I really do, you know, I, I try to be somebody that adds value to other people's lives. Um, I mostly do that via networking, just given, you know, the roles that, that I've been in. Um, but I really would love people to say, you know, yeah, I was, I was glad that I knew Drew because he was always thinking about ways that he could help my business or, or my, Uh my life, my personal life. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, truly hopefully impactful and that's that's really what i try to do every day um so i would hope to be remembered for that well and i can only speak from my personal experience drew but you are one of those people who is incredibly present when you are talking with you and you are a very good listener you also ask very insightful questions and that does add a lot of value to people's lives in an age when a lot of people feel unseen um, and invisible. I think that really is truly um, a significant value that you're adding to the people who encounter you. So um, thank you for well, being thank present. You. That's, very, that's very kind. Very kind. <laughs> All right. So folks, if you want to check out Drew's awesome, exciting company, it's cor.us. I'll include a link to that on the website as well. Drew, thank you so much for being on the show this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, startups are, in fact, sexy and scary both. That's my takeaway. <laughs> and uh, I look forward to having you on the show in the future, and we'll talk about where Chorus has gone at that time. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.